This morning's scripture is from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Obviously, we are continuing our sermon series in the book of James and uh, looking particularly at verses 9 through 12 uh, this morning. So as we uh, prepare to do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we do thank you for your word. Uh, You promise that it does not return to you void, but accomplishes the purposes for which you sent it. So, Lord, with that assurance of your promise, we ask that you would be doing in each one of us just exactly what we need to hear this morning. Uh, We marvel at how you know our hearts so well and are able to minister to us. And so we pray, Father, that uh, for those of us that need conviction, uh, we would be convicted. For those of us that need challenge, we would be challenged. For those of us that need comfort and encouragement, we would be comforted and encouraged. Let your word have its way in our hearts, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I uh, brought an object lesson for us here today. Uh, Boys and girls, who knows what this is? A wedge. A wedge. Okay, I thought this would be the easy part. So, uh, no. This, this is a wedge. This is known as a wedge. It's a big, heavy piece of metal. If you want to come up after the service and uh, uh, hold it there, uh, it is uh, pretty heavy. Um, has a sharp edge on one end of it and a very blunt edge on the other. And it's um, made to, uh, you put it up against a piece of wood and like our uh, friend Bubba up here, I think he's going to show up. Yeah. Uh, see, he's going to put a wedge on a, a piece of wood there. Once you get it pierced in there and start banging on it like he's doing, uh, it'll break anything, split anything into about a half a dozen swings, and he takes that uh, hard tree stump, splits it right apart. Quite a powerful little tool, to say the least. The reason I mention that this morning, we've been talking about trials in the book of James primarily, and trials act like a wedge. Trials act like a wedge. A painful trial comes along, and as uh, Rick pointed out two weeks ago, uh, we will tend to either lash out or bail out. As Kevin mentioned last week, a trial comes along, and we feel like we don't deserve this. If God was really doing his job, if he really cared, this wouldn't be happening to me. You see, 
In a situation like that, when you react to trials that way, you're letting those trials drive a wedge between you and your Savior. You're wrestling with whether you still trust him or not. You're wrestling with whether you still believe in his goodness or not, whether you are still committed in the midst of a trial to seeking his glory or not. Trials act like a wedge between you and Jesus, between me and Jesus. In our passage today, as we go through again this series in James, uh, verses one, uh, chapter 1, 9 to 12, continues and to some degree concludes uh, what we've been seeing in verses 2 and 3. You'll uh, see verses 2 and 3 up at the top and then verse 12 at the bottom, and uh, you'll notice many of the same words show up there. Whenever you face trials, that's in both passages. Uh, the testing of your faith, uh, having stood the test down there in verse 12, and perseverance uh, appears in both places. Verse 12 is something of a conclusion, a mini conclusion, an initial conclusion of this first part of the book of James. Um, about trials, how they test our faith and drive a wedge again between us and the Lord. Now, last week, Kevin showed us how uh, God's wisdom can help us in dealing with those trials. That's verses 5 to 8. And verses 9 to 11 uh, give us two examples of the many kinds of trials that we face. So we're going to look at those two examples here today. And, uh, and then again, verse 12 concludes in some profound ways. So let's uh, dig in. The two trials, uh, the two examples of trials that James mentioned both have to do with our financial situation. So here's uh, verses uh, 9. And uh, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. So uh, it's a financial thing, obviously. Uh, but really, the uh, Greek word behind that uh, phrase, humble circumstances, is just the word in Greek for humble. But since the next verse really talks about uh, people who have riches, uh, it's pretty obvious that it's talking about humble circumstances, financially speaking. Folks who are poor, relatively speaking. So living life in humble circumstances. I don't suppose we need any convincing that uh, living uh, as a poor person or living in humble circumstances um, is a trial. Uh, I think we're all agreed on that. Uh, Struggling to pay your bills, wishing you could support someone on a mission trip, uh, having to wear clothes that the rich kids at school just laugh at, wishing you could do more for your own kids at Christmas. But notice what James is saying to those of us who face these trials. He says, take pride or boast in your high position. Now, if you're going through humble circumstances and really living through that, you might be saying, high position, what high position? Is James mocking us? Is he making fun of us? No, not at all. Not at all. Think of the life of Christ. Born in a cattle stall, to parents whose sacrifice of thanks to God was a pair of doves. That's the sacrifice that was allowed for those in poverty. With no place to call his home of his own, and stripped of what little he had when he was dying there on the cross, Jesus doesn't have simply a special place in his heart for poor folks. He is poor folk. What's more, James is reminding us of the high position, though, that all of us have in Christ. All of us have a high position in Christ that we don't often uh, take note of. But as the Apostles' Creed puts it, on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and so do we. Every one of us have that same position uh, with Christ because as Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, 
God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So there's a real sense in which we are seated with Christ at the throne of God right now. So not only is your seat in heaven reserved for you, as far as God's concerned, you're already there. Nothing could take it away. We have uh, an extremely high position. We couldn't have any higher a position than we do. And that's everyone in Christ. So yes, uh, James is saying to those living in humble circumstances, uh, as far as this world's possessions, he wants to remind them in dealing with that trial, the way to keep a wedge uh, going through that trial, to keep it from being a, a wedge between you and Christ, remember your high position that you really have in the heavens. So that's the first example of a trial that we go through that James gives us here. And now he gives us a second one. We're going to take a little bit of a longer look at this one, but uh, let's go into verses 10 and 11. And there, the second example of a trial, he says, but the rich, wait a minute, the rich, that's a trial? How can that be a trial? You know, James said earlier on, to count it all joy when you go through trials. Well, if if being rich is a trial, I I think I can count it all joy when I go through that trial. I don't know about You kind of get an amen. Uh, (laughs) But here's the thing. The worst trials, the most dangerous wedges, are probably those we don't even think of as trials. They're the ones that catch us by surprise, right? We're not even thinking. We don't have our guard up. We're not even worried about it. The worst trials, the most dangerous wedges, probably are those that we don't even think are trials at all. Let me give you a couple examples. One from church history. During the first few centuries, after the time of Christ, the uh, church went through some horrific persecutions. Most of us are kind of aware of that. But emperors like Nero and Domitian and others would persecute Christians, would go after them. They would do things like crucify Christians and then light them on fire sometimes supposedly to light, uh, throw light on the city. They would throw them into the Roman Colosseum so that lions would eat them for entertainment and so on. Now, certainly there were many, many prayers for this persecution to end, right? I mean, wouldn't that be the obvious thing to do? Well, finally, one of the emperors, Constantine, actually became a Christian himself. And as a Christian, He changed things up so that Christianity became a legal religion. It was okay now to be a Christian. Wow, thank you so much, right? Um, So it was okay to be a Christian. The persecutions ended. And later, Christianity actually became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, that's great, right? Well, maybe. Listen to this quote from John Ortberg in his really encouraging book, uh, Who Is This Man? Here he says this, in some ways becoming the established religion of Rome was a blow from which the church has still not fully recovered. Gatherings that previously met secretly in catacombs were now housed in magnificent public buildings. A clergy that had been recruited on the basis of devotion was now flooded with wealth and status, and bishops began living lifestyles of the rich and famous. Becoming a Christian became a vocational and financial asset. As he uh, concludes uh, a bit later, Jesus' followers have often behaved worse when they have possessed political power than when they were persecuted by it. 
You see, while the church was being persecuted, it flourished. It spread throughout the Roman Empire like crazy. Uh, People were so uh, drawn to it and to Christ. But when it became hip to be in the church, when it became a way to power and status, popularity, power, and status became more important than Christ. It drove a wedge, you see, between Christians and their Savior. Becoming, the le- becoming legit, the trial no one thought was a trial turned out to be worse than the persecution, at least if you think a relationship with Jesus Christ is something that's important. On the other hand, uh, to use a personal example, um, going through Navy Aviation Officer Candidate School can do wonderful things for your prayer life. There's something about Marine drill sergeants and the obstacle course and Poopy Week, yes, you heard it right, Poopy Week, uh, that has a wonderful effect on your prayer life. Then they put you through all sorts of training things uh, that really can uh, improve your prayer life as well. Uh, here, here's one uh, sort of training thing as well. Now, what's going on here, those, are, those four guys in the middle, uh, they are strapped into their chairs. This is very important that you understand this. They are strapped into their chairs uh, with a buckle, you know, and all that, and shoulder harness and all that. Uh, there are windows there with glass in them right beside them. And what this uh, thing is that they're in is a simulation of a helicopter, okay? Now watch what the training exercise is and what they're going to have to do. Pay attention. Lord, please, may I not drown? (laughs) That's called the helo dunker. You weren't expecting that, were you? That thing turns entirely upside down, goes to the bottom of the pool. Then you have to see all those bubbles. You have to wait till all the bubbles are cleared, and then you try to get out before you drown. Uh, You have to do that, at least I had to do that, four different times, uh, once in each chair, twice blindfolded. It will have a wonderful effect on your prayer life. After that, I got to go into flight school, and uh, that also brought me closer to the Lord, and not just because <laughs> I was high in the sky, closer to heaven. I struggled with air sickness, too, a little bit, so that, that made it uh, quite, quite an endeavor for sure. But then came FAM-17. You see, FAM-17 was familiarization flight 17, and it was a big-time check ride, and uh, it was an evaluation in the biggest way, because if you pass that, then you got to go on to other things like acrobatics and uh, formation flying and such as that. So it was a big, big, big important uh, thing, and I had the operations officer, a big tough guy, third most important dude in the squadron as my instructor pilot. I got three aboves. No amen, yay, something? I got three aboves for the grade for that. Now, when you go through, you've got to understand this. When you go through and you don't get any downs or you don't get any uh, uh, you know, uh, bad grades like that and you get maybe uh, just break even, that's great. If you get one above, which is you know, uh, uh, on one of the many, many things they check you off on, that's pretty good. Two is unheard of. I had three on this important FAM 17. Suddenly, I am ace of the base, baby. I am, I am Chuck Yeager. I am top gun. And suddenly, I wasn't so prayerful. See, I'm a good pilot now. I don't need the Lord so much. It drove a wedge between me and God. Success in flight school, the trial I didn't think was a trial, turned out to be worse than just struggling through. 
That is, if you think my relationship with the Lord is important. You see, the question is not only how you will respond to God if you get a bad diagnosis, how will you respond to God if you get a good one? It's not only how will you respond to God if you make the team, or excuse me, if you don't make the team, how will you respond to God if you do? How will you respond to God if you don't land that account? That's the obvious trial. The one that you don't think is a trial maybe is how you respond to God if you do. Sometimes the worst trials, the most dangerous wedges, are the ones we don't think are trials at all. So is James saying that blessings are really curses, that we shouldn't strive to do well, that we shouldn't want to be a good pilot, or to pray that it's not cancer, or to um, pray for an end to persecution? Not at all. Just a few verses later, verse 17 of this very first chapter, he's going to say that every good and perfect gift comes down from our Heavenly Father. No, gifts are still gifts. Good things are still good things. But here's the big question. The big question is, when our Heavenly Father gives you a gift, will you love him more for it, or will you love it more than him? That's the trial. That's the wedge that can be driven between us and God if we're not careful. Now, the remedy for all of this is to use the wisdom that uh, we talked about last week, as Kevin uh, spoke to us about that, uh, that James speaks of in verse 5, to ask for God's wisdom that we might see the world as it really is. Because we tend to see it just in the circumstances and things going on around us when there's so much more beyond and behind it. The vision to see how things really are. Are you living in humble circumstances? Then open your eyes to see the high position that you have in Christ seated with him in the heavenly realms. Are you living with riches of whatever sort, be it success, prosperity, you name it? If you're living with those riches, have you been tempted to think of your high position being wrapped up in those things? If so, then you need to humble yourself and look at the rest of the verse there that describes how we really are from an earthly point of view is, uh, you know, all of that's going to pass away like a wildflower. The sun rises with scorching heat and withers that plant. It blossoms, its blossoms fall away and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. And it's not just the rich. It's all of us, even the ones in humble circumstances. But if we're counting on those things for our identity, if that's what makes us feel like we have high position, that's what we need to remember. It's really just the flip side of the same coin. Our riches are found elsewhere, and they're far greater riches than those things. Now, the really good news about all of this and all of this passage is is what we see here in verse 12. And there it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, think about all this. Blessed are the ones who persevere. The good news is, from the rest of Scripture, we know that we all do, in fact, persevere. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, realizing your sinfulness and your need for a Savior to be reconciled to God, and you've put your trust in Him alone for salvation, reconciliation, and eternal life, then you're His, and you are going to persevere. We all do, in fact, pass the test Because ultimately speaking, nothing can drive an ultimate wedge 
between you and Jesus, no matter how hard we sometimes try. Listen to just a few scriptures that I've uh, put together for this. Just listen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In all these things, trials and all the rest, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. To our own master we stand or fall, and we shall stand because he is able to make you stand. And why is that? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And not only do we persevere through given trials, which has been the theme of this, it's not just the specific individual trials that you're going to persevere through and not let uh, have a wedge uh, be driven between you and your Savior. We persevere all the way through to the end to eternal life. We persevere all the way home, not just through the individual battles. We receive the crown of life. Why? Because Jesus took the crown of thorns for us. We persevere all the way. Why? Because Jesus persevered and endured all the way through the cross to its end and then said it is finished, later being raised and ascending into heaven and sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. As Jesus reminds us, in this world you will have trouble. We all know that, right? But take heart, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you have sent Holy Spirit to dwell within us. How we thank you for the example of our Savior who persevered all the way through to the end. How we thank you that you will not let any wedge come between us ultimately, for we are yours, and you have given us the crown of life. How, Lord, we long for that, long for that day when the trials and everything else will shed away and we will no longer have these things coming between us and you. But, Father, in the meantime, we do pray that you would grant us your power, Holy Spirit, your power, to persevere through all these trials, both the ones that are obvious, but also the ones that we don't even see. In all these, would you enable us to be faithful? Lord, now as we give you our tithes and offerings, we do pray that uh, we would have enough faith in you that would work to us giving you tithes and gifts that are offerings that your kingdom work might advance in this world. We ask in Christ's name, amen.